Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting, excruciatingly uh, painful episode of uh, SFP Now. Excruciatingly painful because we have um, a new guy joining us in the form of Craig McKenzie from Edinburgh in Scotland. And he's going to be talking about um, some some TV shows was, uh, um, and, 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 and a little bit down the line. And also joining us as, as, as ever is uh, my good friend Raisa. Uh, the interview this week, we're actually talking to the creator of the web series Interrogation. So we're going to have that a little bit later on um, on, the, on the show. But first off, um, hello Craig and hello Raisa. How are you guys doing? Fine, thanks. Okay, well that, that's, um, that's gone awkward silence. Mute. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna be you know we're gonna be talking about a, a few shows uh, today um, because obviously we've done with Doctor Who now for the year. Although we will likely review the Christmas uh, special, which is it's just been revealed today that it's going to be called Last Christmas. Yes, an original title. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really original title, and they're actually uh, they're actually using uh, the script from Last Christmas as well, as in <laughs> as in the one that got lost. <laughs> um, but you know what we're going to do today is we're going to be discussing uh, several TV shows and sort of giving our thoughts. Um, and the TV shows we'll be discussing will be Gotham, Arrow, and um, The Flash. Um, and I must add that while, while we're recording this, The Flash is actually on the TV here in the background. I've, I've got it on. I've got it on TiVo. So, <laughs> um, so. Craig, you know, given that you're you're the new guy, do you want to do you want to get things started? Um, you know, we've we've all been watching Gotham. I've been watching Gotham, and the the episode I seen was the uh, one that um, you know it it was right after they they had actually arrested uh, um, Lieutenant Gordon, and um, and and basically Penguin showed up, and um, the the next the next episode on that I just watched the the crime families. Um, we all, all went to war with each other, all over oh, yeah. the Penguin. Yeah, I, I liked that one. It was kind of the first episode that didn't have a killer of the week main story plot that was, you know, because they're usually quite weak. The one before that was The Goat, wasn't it? Yeah, and and, and The Goat, I, I felt, was kind of, you know, I, I was sort of wondering, where are they going with this? Yeah, the twist was quite interesting, though, how it was, um, you know, hypnotised criminals. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, so the, the goat could always return as different people because it was the, the therapist that was behind it. That was quite an interesting twist on that. But in terms of the, you know, plot of the week, it was kind of standard, really. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the, the episode I've seen is, the, um, you know, uh, Fish Mooney. Um, what, what's the name of the other gangster? Is it... Uh, 
um, Falcone. Yeah, you've got Falcone and Maroney as well. And and Maroney, they 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 yeah. kind of all went to war with each other. Um, pretty pretty much all, all over, all, all over the over the fact that Penguin was still alive. And yeah. we, we get we kind of got the reveal that um, Penguin had actually made a deal with Falcone, um, and 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 said that he he'll he'll be be, be his snitch in Maroni's uh, camp. Yeah, there was that flashback to a scene from like the first episode that we didn't see, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah that was um, yeah, I quite liked that. It kind of it shows the Penguin to be this this guy that is trying to manipulate everyone to his own ends, but they haven't actually pointed out what his final end game is, which I find quite interesting. But leave them mysterious to the viewer and everyone around him. I just don't know what he's going to do next, mm-hmm. which I quite like. Yeah, I mean, I, f- I think I think Robin Taylor is doing that. Is it Robin Taylor that plays him? It's either that or Robin Lord Taylor. Robin Lord, Robin Lord Taylor. Yeah, yeah. whichever way around. Robin Lord Taylor's doing a fantastic job of playing him. He's like a really interesting uh, character. Um, you know, I can't take my eyes off him. <laughs> He's yeah. so, such, such an interesting character. Um, but, you know, what I kind of like is, yeah, ultimately we don't know where it's going, but also ultimately, if it's going the way that it goes in the comics, he's basically going to be, be the, the main crime lord of Gotham. Yeah, and then there'll be other people that just try to take him down. Mm-hmm. So ultimately he's going to be where Falcone is at the moment. Yeah, so, you know, all, all the fun is going to be in seeing, seeing him get there. Are, yeah. are you with me in on in 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 finding Fish Mooney perhaps a little bit annoying and a little bit too camp at times? Sometimes, but I think every character in the show is kind of guilty of that. There seems to be a weird tonal imbalance in the show in general. That you know you'll have these really serious, intense scenes, and then something really stupid will happen mm-hmm. that kind of diffuses it. Yeah, it's it's, it's just the. Um... You know, she seems to be she seems to be shout shout shouting her lines a lot, and yeah. uh, and and re- really really amping up the camp camp fat more than anyone else on the show. Yeah, she's very theatrical, I think, which is you know could be quite typical of uh, a certain type of Batman villain. Uh, obviously, she'll never be a Batman villain because you know I dare say she'll be killed before the show ends. Mm-hmm. Another interesting thing that turned out from the uh, from 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 that episode was the uh, was the fact that they that that the deal that Maroni made with Falcone at the end is in order for for Maroni to keep Penguin, they've given him that um, that that chemical that that chemical plant. Oh on, yeah, on yeah, the, the um, seemingly insignificant part of Arkham. Mm, yeah. Which. You know, which if anyone that's ever watched the uh, Tim Burton Batman movie, they know what know what's uh, significant about that. Yeah, it's one of the more subtle references, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that some of the references are too on the nose. You know, like Edward Nigma drinking out of a cup that has a question mark on it, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, and you know, it's. It, I think it's kind of a a little bit weird that Edward Nigma's working working with the police. Yeah, although it's it's a bit it's a bit new, which is interesting. I always like when they do little new things to play with characters that make them uh, a bit different to their previous incarnations. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that one. Mm-hmm. So so where are you at now with Gotham? What 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 have I not seen? Yeah, well, the episode I watched was the tenth one, the mid-season finale, Lovecraft, it was called, mm-hmm. and it was to do with um, no, without spoiling too much, it was to do with. A continuation of the Wayne murder subplot or main plot as it's turning out to be and you get kind of get a bit of movement on that in regards to how Selena Kyle fits into it and her willingness to testify and so on mm-hmm. and there's also a bit more a bit more intrigue regarding how people have it in for Jim Gordon in general because of what he stands for and what he does 
You also get to see Alfred do a lot more in that episode, which is something I really liked. Yeah, you know, I've been been kind of disappointed in Alfred because you know the the, the character bio of him is, is is at special forces, and we've not really seen him do any of that stuff. You know, he's he's he's, he's just so like. It's just really been there as a character that that song like looks after Bruce Wayne, and that's about it. Sort yeah, of thing. there's Whereas... sort of an implication that he has a bit of a colourful past, which is actually kind of consistent with, say, the Dark Knight version of the character who talked about being in Burma. And um, so, you know, there's a suggestion that he used to be a soldier or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is definitely reinforced in the most recent episode. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to see more of Alfred. I want to see Alfred, you know, maybe working a little bit more with uh, with, with Jim Gordon you know, as the show moves forward. You'll get your wish in the mid-season finale then. Okay, well, that's cool. I'm looking forward to that. Um, so should we now move on to sort of like maybe um, Arrow and Flash? Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Reese, do you want to take it from here? Yes, um, I'm up to date on both Arrow and The Flash. Um, I've seen I've seen the Cupid episode, Draw Back Your Bow of Arrow, which is the latest one, and I've seen uh, The Flash is Born, which is the latest one of Flash. And the one the one topic I wanted to bring up that kind of unites them both is Felicity. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm having problems with the fact that she is the bell of everyone's ball. Um, <laughs> she is she is involved with. Uh, with Oliver, she's involved with Barry, she's involved with uh, Ray Palmer. The problem with that is that that Oliver, Barry, and Ray Palmer are all three of them destined to be with other women in, in sort of power couple dynamics. And the problem with that is because they're destined to be with other women, she effectively ends up being the distractor character in three different love triangles. And structurally, that's just such a problem. You, well, you can't you, you, you can't have her be involved in, in, in three different love triangles as the distractor character in all three of them. You've got to fish or cut bait eventually. Well, the thing is, it depends how close to the comics they really want to be with all this. I mean, they could, in theory, have any of the characters wind up with anyone. You know, and If you look at Smallville, and that was on their version of Green Arrow, Married Chloe, which, yes. you know, even though there was a black canary in that show, so there was yes. no real, there's no real impetus to stick with that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And, and also, um, much like Felicity, is Chloe was a, was a character that was made up specifically for, uh, for Smallville as well. There was a character called Flitzy Smoke in the comics quite a while ago, actually. Ah, right. She was quite a small character. But for all intents and purposes, she's originally conceived, the way she acts and so on. Yeah. Yeah, The other thing that's interesting, though, is Felicity Smoke was originally supposed to be a bit character in episode three of season one of Arrow that took off. And she took off, and her, her 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 backstory episode, The Secret Life of Felicity Smoke, was originally called um, Oracle. Yeah. But if she was supposed to be a bit character originally, and only and they only you know rejiggered her when she took off, the question I have is, who was originally supposed to be their Oracle character? Um, it didn't seem like they had that plan because uh, in the very first episode of Arrow, you had you had an Arrow that seemed to hack into the system's form, and he was kind of doing all that hacking bank accounts on on his own for the first couple of episodes. That's true. That's true. I forgot so, about that. Yeah, a lot of people seem to. I forgot about it until I rewatched it actually. But so I don't think there was originally a plan to have a kind of IT character yeah. at first. Yeah. And and also, I guess they could they could always dispose of her if they get bored of her. Mm. I think the fans would have a fit. Yes, they would. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, yeah I mean, 
you know, to be honest, um, you know, she, she, she's a very attractive young woman, but, you know, at, but at the same time, it's, as far as her plot and story, con- story is concerned, she's just sort of like the IT girl. And, you know, I just don't, you know, I, I don't particularly like the fact that she's getting get, getting so involved with, with, with Oliver Queen sort of thing. I was actually happier when it was Barry Allen, the Flash, because he was another character and, he, you know, he wasn't going to sort of like be in the show all the time. Yeah, but they're, they're not going to pair her off with the guys who are, who are titular leads of their own show. If they break canon with any of them, it's probably going to be Ray Palmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. But what what I you know where where I'm up to on on the Flash on on, on Arrow is uh, last week we had the uh, the the premiere episode of Race of Ghoul. And, oh, yeah. oh yes, yes. Oh man, that was a great episode. Brilliant, and and they finally and they gave and they gave Barrowman they let Barrowman be Barrowman, and it was awesome. Yeah, the the one problem I had with that episode is it basically as the audience we knew that it wasn't um, Malcolm that killed. Sarah, you know, in the beginning, but the episode treated it as if it was a mystery. It would be mm-hmm. interesting if they'd left that ambiguous so that we learn as Oliver does. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Although I think I think structurally, the way they're tying it together is each one of the villains of the week is questioned as to whether whether that person is Sarah's murderer. I mean, they did yeah. that with Cupid, with Cupid too. So yeah, it's um, it's interesting how all of these rare killers that use arrows are coming out of the woodwork right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because Oliver said there was only about ten of them, and most of them were in the League of Assassins. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's gonna be really it's gonna be really cool seeing more of the League of the League of Assassins stuff as as it goes up, and and also um in that first in that first you know glimpse of Resal Ghoul, um is it just me or did you get actually get the hint that it was in that uh, that day was in that pool? Yeah, that 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 was meant to be their version of the uh, the Lazarus pool. Thank you, God. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe he was just having a bath or something. Yeah, because I mean, if if we can ha- if we're if we've gotten to a point where we can have metahumans in DC live action, I want this with the Lazarus pool. Go down the road. Yeah, they've already hinted at it as well. When Malcolm came back, he said that he'd been to a place where death isn't a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, he's played by John. I mean, if you if you've taken the time to have Malcolm played by John Barrowman, who doesn't age normally anyway, and is basically yeah. the, the 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 Bowie of the Hoovers, yeah. you know, I mean, it makes sense that that uh, that you would have something like a Lazarus Pit in this universe. Mm. Yeah, there's no reason not to. Yeah, it's it's called Botox, so isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's he, you know he he actually he he actually openly admits that he's sort of like uh, that that is. That he's a fan of Botox, so he get that he gets rigging the top ups. <laughs> well, he, he has to, but I, I but gen, generally speaking, you know what I'm saying. It, it, it just it's, it's it's part of the internal logic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been kind of impressed with Barrowman, uh, you know, as Malcolm Merlin, because obviously when we've seen him as Captain Jack um, in in Torchwood, he was basically um, far, far, far more camp. Yes, for sure. and, and you know for sure. Whereas uh, with Ma- Malcolm Malcolm Mergen, you know, I'm not sure if it's down to John Barrowman's portrayal of of the character or down to just bloody good direction, but they they've actually, you know, we've actually got um, a villain there that has so many different levels that you know it's actually it's actually surprised me a little bit because you know it, it kind of proves that Barrowman can actually act. Yes, We're- and I. I think um, I think I think part of it was that uh, they wanted a little more camp from him initially in the early days of Torchwood. Although as, as Torchwood progressed, he got less camp mm-hmm. as it went on. 
So, but he was also very much criticised for the campness in Torchwood. There was a lot of people that you know kind kind of uh, were really really highly critical of it. True, true, um, and I think I think some of that was his theatre background leading through, and he was you know finding a balance. I think my biggest issue with Torchwood is it just wasn't all that good. No, it was very uneven. Yeah, it was very inconsistently written. I don't think I even saw all of Miracle Day because I just got tired of it. Mm. Mm, well, well, Miracle Day was wasn't exactly a miracle. No, <laughs> Let's put it this way, it was sort of like basically um, with, with Miracle Day, um, Russell T Davis pretty much admitted it. It was originally only meant to be five parts. But because he was doing it for Stars, which is an American network, they wanted to they wanted to to, um, to to do ten episodes. So he had to he had to rewrite his story and extend it. So basically, it was fifty percent filler material and fifty percent story. Yeah, I think I gave up after the second episode of filler or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the best Torchwood thing that they ever did was you know, and uh, there's a lot of people that don't like it because of the darkness of it and the fact that you know Barryman kills his grandson. In, yeah. in, in the series, um, was um, Torchwood Children of Earth. That was, yeah, that was, like actually, that that was yeah. actually Torchwood at, it, at its very, very best. For sure. Yeah. And, and in terms of the standalone storylines, my two favourite ones were the ones that um, the the writer of Sapphire and Steel wrote. Um, there, there, there was some... Um, the one with fairies. The one with fairies, small, small, world, small worlds and from out of the rain. Mm-hmm. Those were the, my two favorite ones. Yeah, yeah, you know, so like, um, I, I, I think, the, I think there's probably a strong case to bring back Sapphire and Steel. Yes. <laughs> um, but you know, getting back onto the uh, subject of Arrow and um, and and Flash, the the Flash episode that I seen last week was the the one that introduces Captain Captain Ice, Captain, Captain Cold, Cold. Yeah. Captain yes. Cold, and. Yes. You know, again, it was sort of like there was some seeds sown in that one for future storylines as well. Yes, yes. And for those who don't know yet, um, um, Captain Cold, uh, played by Wentworth Miller, is going to be reunited with Dominic Purcell from Prison Break as, I think, Heatwave. Heatwave. Yeah, he's playing Heatwave. He was in that episode, but he only had a voice cameo at the end. Yeah. I've never actually seen Prison Break, so this will be my first introduction to the two of them. I've never seen it either, but I've heard a lot about it. Prison Break is awesome, you know. Um, I actually watched it all through last year on Netflix when I first signed on to Netflix, and I just saw, like... um, I got totally addicted to it, although it kind of got a little bit uneven sort of thing in parts, as every series does. But it was it was an awesome show, and um, I, I can't remember the name of the uh, name of the actor, uh, Robert Nepper. Yeah, he's he's, he's oh, yeah. Clark King, and he's coming back. Well, Robert Nepper was in, you know, he had an awesome role in Prison Break. He played this, uh, you know, re- he was kind of like. Uh, this total, total psychotic character who, who was ultimately proved to be quite, 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 quite a coward. Mm. But mm. He, 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 had, he, he had probably the best character in Prison Break mm. for me, you know. Um, but yeah, I've sort of like, um, is, is the Clock King actually going to feature in The Flash? I think he is, isn't he? He is. In fact, he's going to be in um, the episode that tonight... No, tonight's uh, tonight tonight's one. The crossover has Nick Terraby as uh, Boomerang. Mm, we saw in is it Arrow last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so. Nick Terraby 
um, from yeah. Spartacus. It's another Spartacus crossover. Yes, God love them. There, and if and if they have, if they're just doing a checklist and getting as many of the Spartacus actors as they can in there, more power to them. Yeah, I'm well, just, these actors that get traded around. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just hoping that they don't have Lucy Lawless turn up in it. <laughs> well, if, they write some, if they write or something good, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about the material. Yeah, it's just like Lucy Lawless is turning up in everything, so <laughs> it'd be, be nice to actually have a show that she doesn't turn up on. <laughs> I think they're more likely to get the sort of original TV Wonder Woman in, in the show at some point. I would love that so much. That, that, that would be interesting to see yeah. uh, Linda Carter. Yes. That's the one, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I could see her turning up at some stage if they're just going to try and get kind of comic book alumni in there. Yeah, you know... It, it's um it's kind of, kind of funny uh because the only person that are not that that not, that have not included thus far is Dean Kane. Yeah. You know they could have him turn up on it. You know. Um, yeah, they could. Because obviously they can't have Christopher Reeve because sadly he passed away a number yeah. of years back. But you know the the only the only other big Superman aside from Brand, Brand, Brandon Brandon Ralph would would be Dean Kane. So it'd be quite be quite a good move to actually get him on. I, I, sh- I should imagine if they got him on, they'd probably have him playing a quite campy villain. Yes. Yeah, they, yeah. He was in Smallville once as well. He played someone who couldn't die. It was suggested that he was their version of Vandal Savage, but they never confirmed it. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, oh man, that, that, that'd be an interesting character to bring up in, in Flash or Arrow, Vandal Savage. Yeah, and it would be this kind of meta-human that's been alive for thousands of years or whatever. That'd be, mm-hmm. that'd be an interesting one. Yeah, because I, I've, I've read quite a few, few, few uh, different comics featuring Vandal Savage. Uh, They've used them in the DC animated movies as well, they, particularly they, the Justice League Doom one, which I thought was quite good. Yeah, I've, I've actually got that on the, I've actually got that on my Amazon account. I, I purchased it and watched it. I thought it was a really good movie. Yeah, the animated ones are generally pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them are hit or miss, but for the most part, are pretty enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I'd say, I'd say it was pretty good, and this is kind of going into the Marvel Marvel verse. But they uh, did a they 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 did an Avengers um, Black Widow and Punisher. Movie. I haven't seen that one yet. But it was, I've heard good things. It's actually quite interesting. It was so like um, I did a review on it a while back, and uh, I, I basically said it's probably it's probably the closest that uh, Marvel have ever got to, um, to 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 DC in in the form of animated film. Yeah, because Doctor Strange wasn't very good. Yeah, that that strange was just I I kind of found it Doctor Strange quite boring. Yeah, it was. Um, the the two the two the two Avengers films that they did were, were okay. Yeah, quite liked them. They weren't too bad. I enjoyed the Doctor Strange one, but then um, I'm not a hardcore fan, and as an as an origin story, it worked. I think it would have been a stronger story if they hadn't gone for the origin story first, or figured out some other way to integrate the origin story stuff with a different narrative. Mm-hmm. Well, here's yeah. a here's a little bit interesting tidbit for you, Reese. Um, a friend of mine, John Freeman, he used to be a, an editor for Marvel UK uh, when when we had Marvel UK, and he was so like one one of the uh, earlier editors of Doctor Who magazine. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years back, he actually featured something on his site down the tubes dot net, which is a, a site devoted to British comics. And he actually featured some artwork which was which was never used, and it was basically from a proposed um, Doctor Who and Doctor Strange crossover, which, oh, that would have been awesome. which almost happened but never never actually did. Which Doctor was it? Um, I think it probably would have been most likely the Sylvester McCoy era. Oh, that would have been interesting. It, it was late eighties, so. Yeah, they they did hint that that Sylvester McCoy was Merlin, so <laughs> that would have made sense. 
Well, they could have, yeah, they could have done something interesting with that. Has he ever crossed over with anyone in Marvel? I don't think that's happened yet. I, I don't think he has. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there was a Star Trek crossover which they did last year with IDW, which was quite. There's been quite a few of those, I think. There's been more than one anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the Matt Smith one. Yeah, I've read that one. That yeah, good. it was quite a fun one. You also, you also had Tom Baker in that one as well, yeah. didn't you? Because it sort of like went between the eleventh and the fourth Doctor. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, it was a, that, that was a that was a fun 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 read. Um, anyway, um, we're gonna have to wrap up in a minute. Is there anything else you guys like to add about Arrow and uh, Flash? Yeah, we just keep watching both of them because they're both very good shows. I would say. Yeah, they're doing they're doing really well. They're delivering. Yeah. Yeah. Flash, in particular, for its first season, is, is killing it. I think I think it's doing very well, establishing itself, and keeping the momentum up, and the background stuff is being set up really well. I can't I can't figure out what's going on with Doctor Wells at the moment. But I'm interested to find out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think uh, I'm just wondering if Doctor Wells is a. Uh, oh God, I can't, can't remember the name. I'm wondering if Dr. Wells may be sort of like... Uh, Professor Zoom? Maybe. I was thinking more along, but it can be because you're using him in, uh, in, in, in Constantine or, or the hinting at using him in Constantine. Is it is it Dr. Fate or something? Oh, like that's oh Dr. Fate, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I think I think it's more likely that you'll be Professor Zoom or some, or some other character from the future or with access to the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's certainly going to be interesting to watch. Um, and, you know, I think that's probably a good point to uh, end, end the discussion on. Um, so what we're going to do now... Uh, well, first off, uh, thanks, Craig, for joining us, and Andrew, you, sir. Well, you're welcome. We're going to move on to, uh, move on to our interview now, which is with the creator of the web series, Interrogation. I'd like to welcome uh, Britton Valenti to the show. Um, the are you the series creator? Yes. The series creator of um, a new web series called Interrogation, which is um, a science fiction web series. Uh, first off, is this your first web series? Is is it like the first one you've done? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we're uh, we we were just a sort of ragtag bunch of filmmakers that I met when I came out to LA, and it's very hard to do a feature in the heart of LA because they pretty much have everything locked down in terms of permits that you need and um, everything. So we knew that we could do a web series on the shorter side a lot more covertly mm-hmm. than trying to do a sci-fi feature. Well, it's it's kind of interesting you say that because I actually uh, interviewed a member of the cast for the remember the sci-fi movie came out a couple of years ago. It was an independent one called Skyline. Yeah. Um, I actually interviewed uh, one of the guys from that, and mm-hmm. he, he said he told me a funny story about them actually uh, shooting this scene, and they didn't have a permit, so they actually they had to get in there, shoot the scene, and get out <laughs> and do it all in one take. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Oh, that song, like, uh, you know, quite funny. Uh, what, what was the inspiration behind the, uh, the series? Uh, beside it being uh, an opportunity for you to uh, be able to torture and grin all your friends. Yeah. Um, the inspiration is really, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if, do you guys have the TV show Archer? 
in the UK yet? Uh, yeah, we've had we've had it for quite a while, but I've never actually watched it. <laughs> okay, if you if you watch um, Archer, you'll see if Archer himself is a very great sort of play on James Bond, and he's an idiot in the sense that he's a buffoon. He obviously cares about drinking and drugs and banging women much more than the fate of the world. Yet he is somehow always able to save the world, <laughs> and that it's funny, but it's not such a departure from your imagination because of course a guy is going to play that role and then he has a girlfriend who is much more capable much more intelligent really sees that this is important her name is lana and even though she's the smart sexy capable woman her job is literally babysitting this guy Mm -hmm. like she takes care of archer and makes sure he's at a certain place doing the right thing at the right time and that dichotomy is something we see a lot Mm-hmm. in sci-fi or action or whatever. Um, you have the buffoon who is somehow the best and somehow the linchpin to saving the world. And there's a capable woman who's sexy enough to where when she's not mentoring him, he's happy to bang her. And that works. There are archetypes. It's fine. But it's said that you don't ever see the reverse, which is where you have like smart, sexy women who love drinking, love getting laid, love cursing, love torturing people, think their job is cool. And so it really came out of this desire to see girls being super badass and loving it and also having that sense of fun where they can spout one-liners, like creating female characters in this world that you would want to hang out with because you want to hang out with Archer. You don't want to hang out with Lana. You want to hang out with the fun guy. So I wrote a bunch of fun girls that you'd hopefully want to hang out with. Yeah, um, you know, if 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 I if I survived the initial meeting, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. If you make it, <laughs> or if you're on their team, they're like, yeah, let's go and party with the girls from interrogation. They're a load of fun. Yeah, um, that that was the that was that that, that was the other thing I I, I, I noticed. Your, your characters are, are are a bit of a strange mix. Um, are, are they actually inspired by? Are you inspired by people you actually know, or did song like um, did you all kind of like write the characters as in sort of like more extreme fun versions of yourself, as in sort of the sort of James Bondy character that you'd you'd like to be? Um, I know that I wrote I wrote Brayson, uh, the character that I actually play on the show. I wrote Brayson as my sort of like, if I could be anybody, wouldn't it be cool to be Brayson? Mm-hmm. And then everyone else was sort of, we really tried, we really, I really, because I wrote it, I really looked at, you know, classic sci-fi teams, and there's always the, the little archetypes. There's the tech guy, there's the newbie, there's the jokester, there's this, and then usually off in the corner, there's the girl who's just you know, the girl. Mm -hmm. And so I made a team and then just had those very classic positions and then just filled them mostly with female characters and threw in some male characters to show that, you know, everyone's equal in this world. Mm -hmm. Although in the first first episode, it's mostly female-led with a guy being tortured. And you've got yeah. the, you've got the other guy on the um, on on the machine operating the um, he's song sort of like the tech guy doing all the you know checking checking the guy's heartbeats and stuff like that. But it's um it's, it is a very female edge show. 
It is, and it, it was it was fun. that way by design. Um, and also, the first episode was we weren't intending to make it a web series. When the first episode, when I wrote it and conceived it, it was really just supposed to be a short film. But everyone sort of agreed that you know we really like our characters. We want we think there's more to the story. We want to see more. And so out of that. So when you go do get into episodes, basically two through seven, you're going to see a lot more character development um, and just a lot more stories of them explored. Mm-hmm. Um, one aspect that I, I really enjoyed is you, you you kind of drop the viewers right into the middle of an interrogation. There's not really any expositional stuff going on. It's all being it's all being so like spewed out of 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 the conversation between interrogator and the and the person who's on the receiving end, um, and I really enjoyed how you did that. Uh, how long did it take you to actually figure out you know how those conversations revealed the story? Um, it, it's <laughs> I feel I feel like the answer to that starts way early in my like education as a writer because I um I have a I have my um, I have my BA in drama, so when you study theater, all you do is study text. Yep. And then I went and got an MFA, which is Master of Fine Arts in Dramatic Writing. So in the stream of learning so much about writing and knowing a lot about sci-fi, it's really this mix of trying to tell, because so much of sci-fi is based in exposition, because you're dropping people into a new world and... It is a challenge, but I feel like if you just give people lines that they would actually say in real life, audiences are smart. If you give them the puzzle pieces, they can put it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so like uh, one of those things. I often criticize stuff um, that I see as science fiction because it's got too much expositional stuff going on early on. Um, I studied drama as well. <laughs> Uh, years and years ago, I, I I basically did it at a college. I could have gone on to university and done it. I had the right grades and everything, but I never bothered. Um, <laughs> because so you understand, you know what it's like to pour over a text. I I, like, I, okay. I kind I kind of do because I, I you know they they had me reading Ibsen plays, Brett plays, you know, and, and, and you know about Brett plays, you know, do so like a, you did quite a few musical type things. Um, so I, I I do understand, and you know the, the the most fun I ever had doing doing performing arts and drama was actually at the read through. Yeah. So, you know, so be finding the voices for all these different characters, and as as I was reading through, and other people were reading their bits, um, I had a different voice in mind for their characters and so forth. So but yeah, it's, it is study a test, and it's a lot of fun. Um, or um. That said, I I am I'm always critical of stuff that you know where where there's just too much expositional stuff going on in on in, in stuff like that. Um, you know, a few of the big shows are guilty of it. I'd, I'd say Agents of Shield was guilty of it last year. Yeah. When 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 they started off, um, when they didn't really necessarily need to be because you had Agent Coulson who was who was established from the films. You know, so everyone knew who he was. <laughs> oh, right. So, you know, that's something I'm I'm always a little bit critical of. 
Um, and I think at some point, at some point now, it's it's almost a joke in like sci-fi communities that you have to have the exposition scene. You have to have the scene where someone goes, "But why?" and someone explains it. And they go, "Oh," and then they get back to what they were doing. So it is. But I think we started off with a very basic story that anyone can understand, even if you don't do sci-fi, which is, you know, the government is corrupt. We're a rebellion against them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's all you need. That permeates a lot of a lot of different genres. There's always sort of that story rolling around. Um, I've, I've got to say, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of really good acting in this, uh, and yeah. and I'm just wondering, uh, you know, how, how did you go about finding the right people for the right roles? Um, you know, in, in, you know, and and how much um, of the input did the actors have? into sort of like defining their characters, given that you are the writer sort of thing. Um, was you open to them adding their ideas and that? Not really. No. <laughs> so it wasn't a so democracy. No, <laughs> no uh, we, we did the read-through. We did everything. But I have to say, most of these roles were written with... I know the main cast, those were people that I knew through a, a production group. So I was like, all right, we're going to write... I'm going to write this, and I'm going because these people are in the group. I'm going to write a role for Halcyone. I'm going to write a role for Scott. I'm going to write a role for Mallory, and that was the main cast, and that was fine. Um, for the other, for the other characters, um, the the people that we interrogate every episode, those we did. It wasn't even really intense casting. It was very much because we were such a small organization. Uh, it was very much just, oh, well, I have this friend. His name's Max. He should be really good. Okay, great. We, you know, talked with Max. Max was really good. He's in the show. Or, you know, or you know, I have a friend, Leighton. Okay, well, let's bring him in. Oh, he looks right for this character. Let's put him in. And I think it's just because we're in LA, you have a big, you have a big pool of talent to choose from. There are kid, there are people here who have been acting for ten years. There are people here who've graduated from really great universities, and you know, while they're folding clothes at a J Crew, mm-hmm. they go home tables. at nights, and you know, they they look for projects to do. And we're really fortunate to be able to pull from that because you know, some people we knew really well, some people we didn't know at all, and everyone was you know pretty darn good. In their role. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got to admit, I, I I watched episode, I watched up to episode three so far, so I'm not okay. very far into it. Um, I, I basically watched, you know, through episode one through three back to back here and here on. Um, okay. So I've actually seen episode one A and one B twice. <laughs> so, um, and I got to, got to say, by the time episode three came up, um, I was kind of like, um, I was kind of like more plugged into it. By, by that point than I was in the first because in the first episode all I knew that it was like a rebellion fighting oppressive government and yeah. um, I didn't really get too much more than that from that but now, now, now we're into episode 3 we're getting, getting a better idea um, of this oppressive government uh, through, through the person you interrogate in, in, in that yeah. Um, and I, I just really enjoyed that, you know, that the episode and the way the way the way you guys uh, went about that. I mean, so like um, the conversation between your character and and the person being interrogated, you know, the back and forth. It was just so like a uh, re- really really interesting to a point where I'm wanting to know more about why why these people are rebelling and and what exactly is this government's done to you know. 
to, to piss these people off. <laughs> and I think if anyone watching, we're up to episode five now. Up to episode five is released. We'll be releasing. We're going to release the last two episodes just because they sort of fit together. We're going to release them as a group. Um, our target date is December 19th, but we're going to try to get it out earlier. So go and watch one through five, everybody. But um, with, yeah, I, and I think what you could probably tell everyone is that by episode three, it really sort of cements the fact that our team is not, we're not the good guys. Like we're not 100% good people. Like, you'll see them, and I did that very specifically, because this is wartime, and the mm-hmm. tagline of the show, if you watch our trailer, is, interrogation, war makes people assholes. Mm-hmm. And that isn't that isn't the government, that isn't the bad guys, that's, that's our team. Like, I think they're all suffering from various forms of PTSD, and you sort of see that disconnect from humanity in episode three, and it keeps getting explored. Mm-hmm. That, that's another thing I was going to say, you know, that, you know, you, you're the rebels, but you're very much acting like uh, like, like, like terrorists. But it's also that famous adage, uh, one, one person's hero is another person's, you know, another person's enemy sort of thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's all like, um, you, you've done that particularly well, and you've skirted that grey area between, you know, what what, what is what is heroism and, and, and what, you know... And, and what is villainy sort of thing? It kind of like you know that that's what makes these characters really interesting. I think that you that you come up with, you know. So well, thank I, you. I, I, really, <laughs> I really like that. I kind of want to see. I want to see where it goes. <laughs> you know, it's good. So. I hope I hope everyone who's been watching because I think we have a small fan base, and I think people are super impressed with even the quality and the quality of storytelling because we did we we weren't able to pay any actors or any people who actually showed up, but we did make sure that in post things look clean, things sound as clean as we can possibly make them. And just, just because, you know, it can be the best story in the world, but if it's not enjoyable to watch, no one's going to do it. You know? Do you actually have, do you actually have a backstory as to, as, as to why, 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 why they've rebelled against this government, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm a huge fan of world building. And so when I was writing and conceiving of these characters, they all have a they have a character sheet, you know, a mile long. And they have backstories with each other. They have how they met, why they left the government. Not all of them was involved in the government. I mean it's it's super long. We're actually really hoping to get a season two because we have the stories to fill it, mm-hmm. definitely. And so that that's our target right now is to try and get a, a season two. And if we can't if we can't get a season two, I think season one is a pretty solid piece of seven episode narrative. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's definitely there's a lot more to explore. Well, what you could always do, you know, as the as the interest grows, uh, you could always sort of maybe take season one and cut it together so it's one film. And yeah, we could. It would be it would be about an hour, maybe a little less. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so, um, you know, could be an idea, and you know, may- maybe even so, like try, try and you know, sell it as DVD or something. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like because uh, who I don't know what the state is in the UK, but people don't buy DVDs here anymore. It's all about um, it's really about the ease of getting it, and also the. I don't know. We really made it for the internet. You mm-hmm. know, we made it to be short. We threw hot girls in it. <laughs> <laughs> 
we we put dick jokes in it. It was really it's it's sort of tailor made to be like let's do sci-fi for the internet. Mm-hmm. And there's something great about that, and we can extend it into something more, which is what like in season two, the first thing that would happen would be they go and meet the their other rebel groups, and we see that dynamic of them having to go back because their headquarters is not usable at the end of episode five spoiler <laughs> Ooh. Well, we'll see that. So you, you, you were, as Gringer filmmakers, you went out and actually trashed an entire building? We didn't, we didn't trash, we didn't trash a building. Um, in, in a coming episode, they actually explore an abandoned bedroom. And when you look at it, that's my bedroom that they went in and just, I was in, I was in shock. I said, yeah, just go set de- decorate it. I come back in and they have obliterated my room. It took me a month. <laughs> It took me a whole month to get it back just in order. It was it was appallingly bad. But we really when we could do when we could go out all out, we win it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I bet. Uh, what would you say the biggest lessons um, what would you say the biggest lessons have been uh, that that you've probably learnt while while making making this uh, web series? Uh, the biggest lessons I don't know. I mean, we did this sort of, we basically made a TV show for the internet because we made it like a TV show. Whereas I was the showrunner. I organized everything. I was the one who said they wouldn't wear that. They would wear this, you know, like it was a single vision of one person, me. But then we had different directors come in. So each episode is done by a different director. And then we molded it into a series. And that. They only do that on TV. But typically web series are, you know, one guy is directing, his friend stars in it. Mm-hmm. They have a couch in an apartment. <laughs> but we really we really tried to make it something a little bigger and more, more inclusive of different um, people and their ideas over this vision. But I think the biggest thing that we learned, I don't know, just how to really work together and make stuff happen. Because I think a lot of people start making web series or write scripts for web series because it seems so easy to do on paper. It seems like a really simple idea. You know how to distribute it immediately. Um, But just carrying through and finishing it. And, you know, after we made this web series, it was like, you know, we can do anything. We can we can make a season two. We can (laughs) we can do a feature. We you know, this was a really good project. Do you, do you think, make us ready. Have you given any thought to maybe, you know, if, if you do season two, if, if you think given any thought to maybe using something like Kickstarter or Indiegogo to, you know, try and get you some, some funding so you can maybe do a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. And that is, we would have to get funding to be able to do a second one because I funded this one. And at the end of it, it was like, well... <laughs> The coppers are dry. Um, but I think we have we have some really good things going for us. We made sure to include disabled actors, and we can talk about that. We made sure to include disabled actors. We made sure to have a lot of diversity behind and in front of the camera. And we would actually ramp that up and do more if we would if we can get the funding for for a second se- for a second season. And right now we're trying we're making meetings and trying to get an actual studio, someone to, you know, throw us $10,000. And then we would do a Kickstarter where we would do a match. We would say, hey, up to $10,000, your money is doubled. Because I think 
Kickstarter, people are a little tired of Kickstarter now. They're a little tired of these crowdfunding bids, especially when, you know, celebrities are making $3 million. Yeah. For, for their private, for their private works. And, you know, they're, so I think, I think it's more legitimate <laughs> if you can get funding from somewhere else and then ask people to throw money on top of it. But we did a lot with the little that we had for season one. So I know even if we were only able to get, you know, $10,000, $20,000, which is apparently easy to get on Kickstarter, by the way. That is apparently very easy number to get. You're, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> I don't know how, but no, we went to a seminar, and the person literally got up and said, anybody can make $20,000 on Kickstarter. And I was like, hand raise, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I... I disagree. But please prove me wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I mean, I I've known you know I've known quite a few people, um, web series and various other things, um, that have ran campaigns on Kickstarter and failed, and yet I know people that have succeeded. And you know there was there was a good project recently that that I that I kind of got behind, which was um for, for a steampunk animated series based on a on a series of steampunk novels that have been released and done pretty well um, as children's oh, yeah. books. Yes, I saw and, those. I saw those. And unfortunately, he didn't he didn't meet his he didn't meet his target. He got nowhere near. Um, so me me and my friend Matt's um I've, I've been trying to sort like you know give him a bit of advice and help him out with the with 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 his Kickstarter campaign sort of thing and try and get people behind him. So we we basically said you know if you give it another go we'll get behind you and see if we can see if we can sort like uh, help you you know build build the funds sort of thing because you know that that was that that was sort like a great idea I really liked the uh, idea of a of a steampunk animated series and I liked his characters as well. And, you know. Yeah, that was very. Um, the lead was two two young girls, correct? I think so. Yeah, we've been pretty low on the science scale for a while, but there's been a big push in how um, we need to get girls interested in science. And there are a lot of toys coming out. There's a lot of board games coming out that are really, you know, they're pink. They've got ribbons, but they're really directed at trying to up girls playing mechanics. It sounds a little bit misogynistic, actually, that. You know, it's kind of like assuming all girls like pink. I mean, come on. <laughs> it is, but you also, you know, to get to children, you have to go through the parents. Mm -hmm. So if they gave them a Kinect set, you know, you have to go through the parents who are like, well, Kinects are for boys. But if you show them, well, here, look, it's Kinects, but it's pink. They'll be like, oh, well, yeah, Kinects are for girls if it's pink. <laughs> so I think... I think part of it is just a marketing thing. But, I mean, also, what's wrong with pink? Pink's great. Boys and girls can like pink. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know... I'm wearing pink right now. <laughs> well, 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 pink's a color. <laughs> exactly. Um, although, pink. <laughs> though, though me, being, me being a boring boy, I like black. <laughs> Which, you know, isn't technically a color, but... <laughs> On that note, is there, is there anything else about the show you'd like to uh, touch on? Can we can we talk about the disabled element of the show? Yeah, I noticed you did have a disabled character in there. Um, who's one of the uh, main? She's one of the main interrogators, right? Well, actually, we have two two of the regulars on our um, in our group because you have the team and then you have the people they interrogate. Two of the members of the team are disabled actors. Um, one of them is Mallory K. Nelson, who is also was the costume designer. So mm -hmm. our uniforms, what everyone's wearing, 
the government signified by these bright reds, those all came out of her brain and were really expertly done. I, I think our costumes look really clean because of her. Um, but she has she has one leg, so she plays Lana, our ballistics expert. And I think in her bio, she has a great line, which is that um, she plays Lana not as an actress, but as proof that disabled women can be as badass and awesome as anyone. Uh, and she uh, she doesn't talk much in the series because when I was writing, she didn't want to appear on camera. And I said, come on, come on, you know, you'd be so awesome. Just you look so cool. I'll build you a giant crutch gun. You know, it'll be great. And she was like, all right, I'll appear, but I don't want to talk, mm. which is not like her at all. <laughs> but um, I said, okay, can you give me one line per episode? And she was like, all right, I'll say one line. And everyone just, you know, if you watch episode one, she just sort of steals any scene that she happens to be in. Mm -hmm. And everyone said she did such a good job that I immediately heard for the rest of the series, why do I only have one line? Why? Where's all my dialogue? Where do I get to talk? <laughs> So there you go, confidence. Um, and then the other actor is Scott Rosendahl, and he's been he's been in the industry for like ten years, um, but just just wonderful. And I think you'll see in in the, he's he's pretty quiet just because that's sort of his character. He's definitely the tech guy, um, but that is his wheelchair. <laughs> Uh, he's the tech guy, but I think, especially in episode six, that's sort of his character's episode. And you see that he's given a lot of nuance to what is a very quiet, very angry character. And rather than disappearing into the back, I think, yeah, he gives that character a lot. There, there, and, there, there is kind of like a seething element, uh, you know, bubbling over in, in him and, and Lana as well. As in, you know, the fact that they're not saying saying too much actually lends them more power as characters, I think. Yeah, it makes them definitely more intimidating. And that was that was a happy accident. Mallory was actually the second the second person that I met when I came to LA. And she just was a really nice person, made me feel welcomed. And just through sort of hanging out with her, I got to know other disabled actors, and it was like there's a pretty sizable community of very talented actors who just happen to have different bodies mm -hmm. than the norm. So once I found, once I found that I had access to a pool of actor, actors who were disabled, I was like, well, we just have to write roles for them. And I know we would definitely do more of that in season two if we're lucky enough and have the support. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it, it's great that you're actually using them because, you know, obviously it is, it is actual projects out there where, you know, where, where there's sort of mass media projects and TV films and stuff like that, where they'll just get a normal actor to play a disabled role. And that kind of bugs me. It is. It bugs the crap out of me. It's, it's it's not blackface, but it is akin to it. It's not. It's not. I got into this debate with someone. It's literally not blackface, but it is akin to it. And you know, it's. But that's the thing. That's the Hollywood star machine. You know, the best actor. Like if you did a nationwide search and you found the best actor or the best actress to be in a role, the role's going to go to Jessica Alba, just because we know who Jessica Alba is. And that, and I, but that does affect the disabled community and the ability of the disabled community or any community, trans community, et cetera, from telling their own stories. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking if you had the money on, 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 the, on the second season, you could actually uh, jazz up the chairs and, you know, put <laughs> missiles and nukes on them and stuff like that. And 
I know. Like, that's the thing. Turn turn these wheelchairs into sort of, like, tanks. We did we did our best because episode episode three has a wheelchair chase scene by another wonderful um, actress, uh, disabled actress, um, and Colby Stocking, who is just wonderful. And um, we we did our best. We we had to rent that particular wheelchair because we're like we need a power chair. And then I did my best to add all these additions and lights just to try to make it look a little tougher. But uh, yeah, souped up wheelchairs. Who doesn't love those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I um, I'm actually I'm actually mild cerebral palsy myself, so I'm, oh. I'm actually from that sort of background. I actually went to a college uh, with other people that had cerebral palsy, and um, I can walk. But get me in a wheelchair. We used to have wheelchair races down the hall. You know, loads of fun. <laughs> you know, I used to play wheelchair basketball. <laughs> used to. Used to. I'm I I'm not 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 that not 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 that fit anymore. <laughs> But I used to I used to play wheelchair basketball, admittingly very badly because you know, obviously with me being mild mild cerebral palsy, I've got the use of my legs and arms sort of thing, and you know, right. and it you know it's not obvious you won't be able to spot it in me when I was walking down the street or anything like that. Um, yeah. But you know, I I went to a I went to a college where you know you, you had you had across the whole range of cerebral palsy from from people that. You know, couldn't speak and needed a needed a computer sort of thing yeah. to to help them speak. To to people like myself who were ambulant and all those in between sort of thing. Yeah. You know, so it's a that 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 was a and that's, that's how amazing. I, is that a is that a state funded college or? Um, it was um it was a it was college that was set up in in in, in the seventies and um, I think it was initially done by sponsorship. But basically, what happened is the various local authorities actually paid for you to go there you know if you if you if you had had a disability and it was basically a gateway for those that had been in special needs education at the time to get into mainstream you know that's amazing no um i have to i have to say um some people have well they've asked they're like oh well why why include this disabled element was it just because you have the actors and i was like i don't i don't think so i think honestly if you look at the future and this is also war times, you know, sort of when our series takes place, there's this covert war going on. Um, like, if it's the future, you're going to have more children born with disabilities of, any, of every kind. Let's just say ecological factors have compounded. Just you're going to have, you know, um, birth rates better. Just you're going to have more children born with some sort of inherent disability. And also uh, drugs such as thalidomide, you could have, you know, stuff yeah. like that happen again. Absolutely. Um, you know, that happened. And then on top of that, if it's wartime, you're going to have a lot of people, a lot more people walking around who have lost limbs or, you know, have suffered something from war, you know, veterans. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, we often see the dystopian future as just the world of extremely hot people. Like that's what it's all led to. Everyone has just gotten extremely buff and extremely gorgeous. And they're all wearing Nycra. <laughs> All of them. And, that, and what, what is more likely to happen is that you're going to have more people born with disabilities. You're going to have more people who um, came into disability later in life. And rather than that being a grim, sort of terrible aspect of the future, it's more like, well, if there are more people with it, it will become more commonplace. It will become easier to accommodate people who have special needs. 
it will become, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, that guy lost a limb. But just, oh man, Steve lost a limb. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Good thing we have a job he can do and have a valuable place in society for him. It's, it's also kind of interesting because I was actually watching a show on TV a few weeks back um, here in the UK and it was about the, uh, the veterans from the First World War, how many of them, because they lost legs and arms and, and what have you, um, and half their face and ears and stuff, um, many of them, when they came back from from war, um, they, they they had a great deal of difficulty assimilating back into society, sort of thing, and it was really those those people that trailblazed um, getting the rights for disabled people um, that 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 we enjoy today. Definitely, you know, and it was a really interesting uh, show. I can't remember what it was called. It was just a documentary that happened to be on, and I kind of watched it, and you know. It kind of uh, kind of touched me, and I thought, wow, you know, these people, you know, not only were really heroic in war, but were really heroic in peacetime when they came back to 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 a world that wasn't exactly going to be, you know, welcoming or accommodating to them. Right. You know, they they basically had to fight to sort of like reestablish their place in in society. Yeah. So yeah, it was a uh, pretty heroic. So, um, who did the music? <laughs> we have different composers for every episode. Mm. I could tell because it would, you know, it sounded different each episode. Yeah, uh, we basically we had a style that was, you know, we went to every composer and I was like, okay, give us industrial techno. <laughs> and um, if you go on our IMDb page, because we have our IMDb pages down, um, you will see you can you can look up the different um, the different composers and give them and hire them for your web series. <laughs> Because they are definitely worth it. Okay, well, um, I'd just like to say thanks for joining us on the show. It's been been great having you. It's been really fun. Thank you, Ian. It's been wonderful talking to you, too. 30 seconds. Okay, engine stop. We copy it down. Remember when science fiction drama envisioned stories that were happening where no one had gone before? Discovering and exploring other worlds far, far away. While many of these series and films became cult classics, somewhere along the way, this genre got lost. Imagine if there was a place where you could go watch exciting new space opera series made specifically for the niche audience that you are. Imagine if this place was conducted by a team as passionate as you about science fiction and who would use all their background experience to make sure you get the best entertainment possible. SOS is a not-for-profit independent production facility that brings together writers, special effects wizards, and other creative talent from around the world who've worked on some of the most recognizable and respected science fiction franchises. So throw away your remote control and get real control by joining the Space Opera Society right now. With as little as $1, you can change the future of entertainment today. For more information, please visit our website. Which is, of course, spaceoperasociety.com. Where all your questions will be answered in our Frequently Asked Questions page. And don't miss our short video presentation from some of our space opera series in development. And a step off the limit. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. everybody, this is Nick Tarabay, uh, Asher and uh, Spartacus, Gods of the Arena, Spartacus, Blood and Sand, 
and the new Spartacus as well. And uh, I'm here at SFP now. Keep listening and keep watching. Thank you so much. And that's about all we have time for this week. Um, I'd like to thank uh, Britain for joining us and uh, and discussing uh, interrogation. It's a really good web series. Uh, just check it out. It's on YouTube. Just type in YouTube interrogation, and you you'll get led to this uh, this really unique uh, you know piece of web television. Um, it's well worth a watch. Uh, thanks as always for joining us, and um, hopefully you'll tune back in next time. Bye.